Hello, welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. The podcast is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University, and I'm your host, Eric Sloss. I'm here today with Dr. Eric Halsey, an expert substance use prevention treatment and recovery, studying overdose prevention efforts for over 15 years. Eric, welcome. I like your name, Eric. (laughs) It'll it'll be easy to remember. (laughs) So the podcast explores the idea of how uh, communities galvanize. And um, Dr. Halsey, I was wondering if you can try to explain how addiction, uh, prevention, and treatment as it relates to substance abuse, galvanize a community to rally or come together to address that issue. Sure. And I think I'd sort of jump off of that question and deconstruct it by asking, you know, what community do we mean? Um, because, you know, we're in the midst of an overdose epidemic and sort of what I've observed, there are various communities. Um, if you're, for example, a, uh, a member of the treatment communities, a substance use treatment community, you are a, a, an insurance company that pays for it. You're a counselor that works at a facility. You're an agency director, executive director. Um, there are common narratives that people use, um, some of which are aligned with the current science, some are not, and they persist, and they kind of, those communities maintain themselves. It's sort of you're in this camp or that camp. Um, you might be in a government, a member of a community of government people who are pushing an intervention, some of which are okay, but you have that government speak and your rules and norms sort of uh, rally sort of around that and what the sort of end, uh, the aim is and the objectives. Um, you, you also might be a member of the affected uh, uh, community um, it doesn't really have much voice. And so in terms of galvanizing, yes, the government has mobilized. The treatment community is, you know, their their patient population has more than doubled, you know, in the past 20 years, uh, especially those with an opioid use disorder and not historically, you know, alcohol does the most damage of all, but we that didn't really enter, uh, you know, the public lingo and, and all the treatment um, uh, responses to that. So, so if I could, if I can unpack some of that, what you're saying, especially as it relates to alcohol. So, if alcohol is the deadliest, but it's not an epidemic, opioid, but we we're, we're in an overdose epidemic now. I mean, one is legal, one is not legal. Uh, one has more chronic, deleterious effects. Um, although there are accidents and those kinds of things that result from alcohol, um, but uh, you know, the the changes uh, from in a very short period um, with this particular substance um, and how that has actually uh, matured or changed over a very short period of time. Um, yeah, they're just they're different. But just in terms of the treatment right. um, population, it's right. it changed pretty rapidly. And sort of the, the tools and the toolbox and policies didn't follow at, mm-hmm. at the same rate. I guess I guess where I'm getting it hung up on is the uh, the, the term epidemic, um, but I guess what you said in terms of how it matured and how quickly the the epidemic of opioid uh, challenges and overdose 
defines it as an epidemic. I see. I suppose. Right? Yeah, and yeah. it's it's the causes of death, and you know, kind of you could ha- have liver chronic liver problems for many many years of you know right. um, alcohol misuse. Right. Um, whereas you know, it's a it's far more lethal in a shorter time frame. You know, opioids. But well, I, I wanted to say something about also, you know, looking at the groups of communities. Um, in one way, you know, there, so for people who use drugs, uh, there really isn't an advocacy. There's not an advocacy for this group where from other illnesses, there has been this mobilization and really brings together. If you think of look at the mobilization, autism 20 years ago and autism today, it's extremely it's it's strongly funded. I wouldn't say adequately funded, but has a very strong advocacy and uh you know, we can unpack which community sort of built that kind of um, that advocacy. But that advocacy doesn't exist for this group of people. Um, but there's a different way of galvanizing that drugs. I mean, uh, there are some theorists who look at how communities do t- come together with drugs because people use in the same communities. They buy their drugs from the same communities. And when you're sort of as a part of that community, Getting and staying well means that you can no longer be part of your social fabric in your community. It's not doesn't say anything to, about how healthy that community is um, for the particular individual, but it is a community nonetheless with you know emotional or other ties, and so you know facilitated through mm-hmm. the person's behaviors, the drug use. So that's a different way than I was speaking about those communities that are government or treatment related. Right. I guess the idea of a community is that you have these shared, you know, these shared values and shared issues that you're dealing with. So as you define them in in maybe silos, it affects all of us. So how does that begin to interpret solutions or how does can you can you tell me how these silos are working together to address this particular issue. Yeah, sure. Um, and I and I could also point out, I won't say that first, so I'd want to be a sort of a downer on it, but um, the failure for many of those communities to speak the same language. So if we're in a public safety community, so those who represent, um, you know, first responders, many of our police force, there's a lot of really good interventions. And, you know, from when I started doing this stuff 15 years ago, um, just the use of naloxone, hydrochloride, right. or Narcan, that an antidote to an overdose, an opioid overdose, that was considered absolutely not uh, something that a police officer might do. But it's far more prevalent today than one I would have expected back then. Um, that said, the primary aim is public safety for those audiences. And when you're coming from a public health perspective, those aims, objectives, the language that you're using, the kind of your your end goals, can be quite different. Um, and uh, you could you know you could kind of use that polarity in many contexts, like the drug courts. They sound like a good solution, but in many times it's uh, a stronger or dedicated application of legal and public safety related frames. It doesn't help the overdose or anything, but it, it helps the safety of the public to keep people off the streets or stop breaking the law or those kinds of things rather than what it's intended and on paper is designed to be, which is to provide specially trained court professionals to promote a person's engagement, continuing and ultimate recovery from their substance mm-hmm. use disorder and, uh, you know, kind of channel their legal infractions. 
you know, to a specialized court. But right. uh, like here we have in Pittsburgh, we have um, probably um, a drug court that most poorly reflects what those designs are. And mm-hmm. I could take the Pepsi challenge with anyone on qualifying that statement, but uh, but that would be more of a public safety response right. rather than a public health response. So these communities have a different frame, a different language. Well, I like I like the relationship as it is to autism and those experiencing substance use disorder. Um, is it mostly self-diagnosed where they're kind of dealing with it on their own individual basis and putting in themselves into treatment as opposed to maybe autism where it could be detected earlier, um, systems are in place for social services or educational services. Yeah, well, why is it designed that way for autism or what it, we perceive right. to be a design that way for autism? Substance use disorders, there's a, a, there's a great body of science on how to intervene early. Pediatricians mm-hmm. could be sk- trained to an evidence-based screening procedure to identify the first, first, you know, most substance use and alcohol use it is not a problem for most people. I mean, drugs are illegal, so that can be everyone, expl- you know, in this country, not right. in Portugal or another country. But, um, but most of that is experimental, and it doesn't progress to... Uh, where it's affecting your roles, mm-hmm. uh, responsibilities, your health, um, you know, all that stuff. Um, but we don't apply that. We don't, we don't have reimbursement codes in the healthcare system. You don't self-diagnose with a disorder. You need a professional to diagnose mm-hmm. you. Um, but you also don't have advocacy. For example, um, you know, in this county, I observed through you know, an analysis that we did that less than half of the people who are pursuing treatment for their opioid use disorder, mostly heroin, uh, aren't using a medication that is considered, it's an FDA, one one of three medications that are FDA approved that the medical director of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration says basically if you're not using this, it's negligent care. Um, But why is that? And there are racial differences. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, among African-Americans is a, a rate far less, statistically significantly less utilization of one of, one or one of these medications. So why is that? Um, we don't have early screening. We don't have pediatricians focus. We don't have early much at early intervention. We really continue to pay for things that are uh, less than clinically effective. It's not like we don't know if they'd be effective. We know that they're not as effective, and yet we continue to pay for them. So where's the leadership? Where's the advocacy? So it's uh, it's one way that that's quite different. So we have the tools. We just don't implement them. And why? We have the science. We have the tools. We have the techniques. We have. Well, let's explore that answer for a little bit, and it's quite controversial for sure. I mean, I think the idea is that uh, the prison industrial complex allows us to uh, find people and criminalize it rather than think about treatment and prevention. Um, so there's that piece of it, right? Uh, the complexities of, of uh, law enforcement and keeping the streets safe. The frameworks from which the actors mm-hmm. are you, you know, intervening is from a public safety. Right. Why? You know, their responsibility is not to be the medical provider or the person to help that person get well in the long term. And right. Although when you apply these effective treatments, you find that, in fact, they recidivate less. Uh, they're actually one of the components of uh, long-term, you know, stable recovery 
is being a good citizen, you know, finding your citizenship, whatever community you participate in that you're giving back, um, you know, either people who are in early recovery or just as a member of your community. You might be a, you know, neighborhood cleanup or <laughs> planting trees, for example, but you're a citizen. So you might have this transcendent experience where you're better because of your um, your drug use and your eventual recovery. Well, that brings me to a really interesting segue in terms of an article that uh, Dr. Robert Weiss wrote in Psychology Today. He said the opposite, the title of the article is The Opposite of Addiction is Connection. And he says the addiction is not about the pleasurable effects of substances. It's about users' inability to connect in healthy ways with other human beings. In other words, addiction is not a substance disorder. It's a social disorder. So to your point, you know, how do they fit in the citizenship role? How do they fit into society? How do they begin to have these social connections that make them healthier? Um, is that a solution? Well, how, how does that translate in terms of treatment and prevention? Um, I think it's even reductionistic to consider it just even as a sort of uh, challenge in social relation because it's much more it's social, political, economic. Um, there's been a recently peer-reviewed study that uh, you know, in places, holding other things constant in places that had manufacturing kind of declines, had a higher incidence of fatal overdose. So it was one of the first occasions where we could demonstrably show that right. economic, it's, and it's association, you know, it's mm -hmm. causal is kind of hard to really attribute, but they held a lot of things constant, and it suggests that it is primarily the impact of the economic changes. And so that has nothing to do with sociality. Social. Um, I mean, on its face value. But, uh, you know, I, I think also that, re that, that study, if I'm thinking of the right uh, one, I don't remember the author, but really was not even about so social as the sort of the social dimension of human experience, but the fact that all of those rats or mice had um, all of their needs met, both, you know, they had enough food, they had enough recreation, they had enough sex, they had all, all their basic kind of human needs met. And so they didn't go back to drink more of the cocaine water. Um, so I think it's a profound study to kind of think about these large global issues mm -hmm. or drug use, for example, in the context of our current political, economic, right. social climate. So I guess, I guess, you know, someone who has substance use disorder, dropping them into a fairly functioning um, social uh, con socially connected, uh, lots of people with social capital uh, would not necessarily solve the, the person's issue, but you have to layer in these political and economic factors that not only the community is dealing with, but this individual, I suppose. Well, you have many places that are, um, I'd say, resource poor, mm -hmm. um, but yet they have very strong social fabric and kind of just a, a different culture from ours, for example, right. many countries around the world. In fact, most of the world doesn't right. live at the standards that we do, um, but yet they don't have uh, substance problems uh, in the way that we do. And that's, you know, you'd have to ensure that everyone has access to that. I mean, if you're mm -hmm. resource poor, you might not also be able to afford that. But, right. um, but that said, I mean, uh, it's clear that that is uh, a factor that shapes, you know, harmful substance use. Right. Dr. Weiss uh, does make the argument around uh, social disorder and the cause of subs subs uh, the relationship to substance disorder 
the uh, the research we, we were referring to is the Canadian psychologist Bruce Alexander who did the rat park where he separated rats, mm-hmm. to your point, uh, separated rats and gave uh, heroin to these rats, but then put these other rats in a very social situation and they didn't need the heroin because they were in this social construct. But you, you um, dissected that really, really quite well. There's a lot of complexities in terms of what that means in term, uh, with the relationship of having that social support. Um, you talked about Narcan, um, and you were impressed by the um, how progressive it was and how it developed out of law enforcement. Um, what about these uh, law enforcement-assisted diversions, these leads? Law enforcement-assisted diversions. So instead of arresting, booking, incarcerating, trial, all that kind of stuff, they, instead of following that conventional pattern, uh, within reason and, you know, where there isn't like, you know, a crime in which I think there are certain th- thresholds of crimes and right. that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, uh, they, instead of going through that, they would offer the person treatment. And when they're designed, there's a case manager that's available that the officer can sort of pass that person along to who could identify what uh, that person's needs are, what they're interested in, and then help connect them to that. So that, you know, you know, the, it's, I think it's, I believe it's an old Japanese proverb. If, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So this is, uh, considering different tools. Mm-hmm. So not only the arresting and booking in the jail, but, mm-hmm. uh, there are safe injection sites and in I believe it started in, um, Vancouver and BC. Uh, but, uh, in fact, just two days ago, you know, talk about we may be living through, um, may, you know, kind of incremental but not um, not inconsequential changes to drug policy in the United States. Um, a federal judge had a second and final ruling on uh, the federal um, legality of having a place like that where a person can be observed with a nurse, have a social worker there, um, and a very low threshold, not too many requirements, but can use what they use, whatever drug of choice, and they can use that there. And, uh, you know, every time they come in, they could be asked what they need, how they're doing today, maybe right. get a cup of coffee or, you know, hydration is very important, so maybe you can get some water. Sure. Um, but, uh, and also continuously offering that. And, in fact, if they happen to have, uh, you know, drugs that unawares to them was extremely dangerous, there might be someone there that can save their life. So it's about relationship rapport building with a population that may not otherwise present to health care or social services mm-hmm. because likely it hasn't worked for them in the past. Well, you talk about Narcam and the the law enforcement assisted diversions, and this seems a pretty, pretty inventive and, a, and a, a really useful way to address substance abuse. Yeah. You know, and it's sort of overall, um, you know, we st- there has been, but it's not to say that there has not been progress from where we were even five years ago, but certainly 15 and certainly 80 years ago. Um, but, um, you know, I probably com- come up with three or 20 examples where they are basic public health functions, um, but for one reason or another, and it's not always funding. Sometimes there's adequate funding, but there is an appropriate leadership or there's appropriate leadership and there's not adequate funding, or you have uh, some stakeholder interest that prevents you from doing 
um, what we know to be effective, but we just can't make that happen in the world. So I could come up with, like I said, easy dozen of those kinds of vacations where like doing, uh, uh, offering Suboxone, a, a years of evidence, effective evidence. There's plenty of resources to do it. There's plenty of assistance, technical assistance and otherwise. Um, there's adequate medical staffing and appropriate certification to do that. Um, yet that's not occurring in Allegheny County. One of the ground central, you know, places in the country where we've had among the highest fatal overdose rates in the country for years, even though that's improved in this past year and a half. Um, it is not happening or happening for very, very select few people. Um, when you book, you know, 13,000 plus people a year um, through our county jail. And some of those, they, st- they don't stay long enough to get properly assessed, but it's just not occurring, mm-hmm. you know. Why? Right. It's, it's not a resource, um, mm-hmm. you know, problem. It's so. Right. Uh, my, I have family members that um, have substance use disorder, um, like almost every family uh, in America or around the world, right? Uh, but I can't help but kind of fall back into the stigma of, of it. And what, what do you think that, where does that come from? What's I mean, drugs are illegal. Now? Alcohol is not illegal. Right. You know, you could be problematic with alcohol and it's like, ah, so-and-so was funny. So-and-so fell down, so-and-so whatever. And sometimes you could laugh about it, but that person, they might be laughing about it also. But truthfully, uh, you know, their life might be a wreck. Their liver might be not be in good function, and they may not be on the best, most healthiest course for mm-hmm. their life, or at least the life they want to be living. Uh, but drugs are illegal. Um, so that's one. So you're every time you're engaged in that behavior, uh, it's illegal um sometimes that prevents someone who you know maybe in their 20s um you know was they're they're far from the place that they were they when they were in their 20s um but they can't get a job you know they can't have any housing assistance for example um you know you're going to get into the trades you know you're going to hire a professional you know you you used to be a uh um a charter a limousine driver, you know, and now you've got a felony charge for holding or for maybe purchasing drugs for a friend, you know, that's, that's how that gets operationalized Mm -hmm. in one way. Um, you could say, I, I mean, I don't mean to go with like the heavy punches, but, um, you could read obituaries. Um, you know, if a person's between 25 and 45 years old and died unexpectedly in our region, you know, um, you know, there's in fact a group of parents who, have overtly stated that my child, you know, in in his or her obituary, wow. he died of a drug overdose. Powerful. Yeah, unexpectedly. We love him so much because he was a part of our fabric and our mm-hmm. family. Um, and that's a way to combat that stigma, or that's a way that uh, those groups have tried to combat that stigma. Um, and you just don't talk about it. That's right. Um, you know, so those are just like three ways that's the, and that's a, gen- yeah, right. And I think it's a generational thing too, right? You sometimes, um, maybe I the would b- say that, yeah, a, I've not really thought about that, but I think the generation that neither you nor I are a part of <laughs> right. are far more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard as that for, is for me to understand at times, but in that way, I think it absolutely would be, um, you know, uh, 
what I want to say, but a, an ornate pattern of possible pathways um, versus, you know, For sure. you know, the generation before us and perhaps That's even our right. generation. No doubt about it. Yeah. Pretty rigid. Right. And you think about um, the ideas of technology and, and, and making your lives public through social media. Maybe that is a positive nature where they're being able to express themselves in really unique ways that they may not have, which we never really had the technology to do that. In yeah, that it's like there's a... Accelerated. Very, and here's another way that I'll tie that thought you just had. I'm saying that, you know, in the uh, recovery community, in, in this region, there's a real strong narrative. This 12-step traditions, NAAA, which millions of people around the country anonymous. and the world... Yes. Um, yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. Um, you know, the, the principles and, you know, the steps, nothing is re really mutually exclusive between using a prescribed medication that the science wasn't around when, you know, um, Bill was, you know, writing the book. This was... And you're talking about the Alcohol Anonymous book. Yeah. yeah and how that was put together. Yeah. But, you, you know, there's nothing, it, it's not mutually exclusive to use a medication and pursue your steps and be in recovery. That's but right. the narrative in this region is, it's, it, it's very, very difficult to understand. You are either in recovery and not using a medication. You're not going to raise your hand in an NA meeting and saying like, yeah, I'm maintaining my recovery um, with Suboxone. You know, people would be, shoo you away. And in fact... That has happened where you're using, uh, you know, your kind of, uh, uh, you know, medication-assisted recovery meetings. You know, you've got like Suboxone Anonymous, you know, these kinds of Heroin Anonymous. You've got these kinds of, uh, well, that's not a recovery group. But, you know, these are groups that are emerging to kind of the different pathways. And, you know, I mean, the, even the feds have like, you know, kind of all roads to recovery kind of, you know, um, uh, you know, embracing that, right. where I think, you know, perhaps the younger generation would get that, but it's so rigid here, and, right. you know, and, and it's also just the 12-step approach. Mm -hmm. There's smart recovery, there's all kinds of different recovery frameworks, but it's like that one's the only right. one, and so right. this plurality of approaches, it would be, uh, I mean, that's what you want, because if one size doesn't fit, try and try again, because it's right. in this era any you know even people who are buying cocaine on the street like that band on the south side a few months ago thought they were buying cocaine they had fentanyl in it it's like six guys go down three mm -hmm. of them died or right. i think a fourth maybe right you know and that's that has nothing to do with opioids that's but, right uh, it's it's deadly these days mm -hmm. and uh well i think there's something we can explore the idea of uh, a non an anonymity you know in terms of recovery I think there's something very interesting about it. I think, the, as you as as you indicated, the younger generation is a little bit more open about sharing wh how, who they are, especially in the gender realm. I think they've challenged us to think about how they identify themselves, and that's a pretty bold and open open um, uh, experiment. And and it's and it's happening all over the U.S. and all over the world in terms of how we describe people. Um, New but, categories, right? Right. It's New not categories. this non-binary. Yeah, right, I mean, that's, right. if I just even a process comment, just the language that we use. So, for example, how does stigma, you're just, you know, that person's an addict or not. Yeah. So that that right. use of yeah. that language, you know, we always right. say like person first, a person with an addiction. Right. A person who, 
you know, and experiencing homelessness, a person. Exactly. And it's person first. And, and I just, you just keep hearing that all the time. And that's Mm -hmm. just a way that continues to reinforce that. Um, but on the flip side, um, you know, we started the conversation about, you know, how to communities embrace and whatever, but there is an most places in the U.S., not in all, but in many, many, many places in the United States, and this one not, um, you know, excluded, there are very strong communities within the recovery movement or recovery communities, different communities within that. But um, I'm, on, I'm on the board of a local uh, kind of recovery community organization, but it's like an organization that provides like roads and bridges infrastructure to facilitate communities of recovery. So they have their local meeting there and... Um, and it truly is a community, cross sections, economic mm-hmm. race. It's it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and these are unique communities that there is a way that people galvanize, you know, and that, that would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to be sure to mention that. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, um, if, if you're a community member that wanna, wants to get involved in this particular issue, if you are a person with substance use disorder, um, where can they go? It depends what they're looking for. You know, if you're looking for treatment, there would be one avenue. If you want to get involved with some advocacy, you can, you know, look at what the Pennsylvania Harm Reduction Coalition is doing. If you're looking for treatment, I think there's a 1-800-PA-HELP. I think that's the number. Um, You know, if, you know, and they'll guide you to uh, where available treatment would be near you. You know, if you're looking to, uh, I suppose... uh, rattle the system or something there'd be a different um (laughs) place you could reach out for that um if you're looking to see what your coverage is for treatment you look on the back of your insurance card um but it just depends what a person would be interested in if they'd like to volunteer with a great organization you know there's prevention point pittsburgh and many other organizations that are that do really good work in in our region um dr halsey thank you so much well thanks for having me really great conversation hope to have you back And Community and Company is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University. I would like to thank executive producer Dr. Heather Starr-Fiedler, studio engineer Tyler Polk. And Community and Company is produced in front of a live studio audience at the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University.